A basketball hero around here is treated like a god. I mean, how can you ever find out what he could really do? I don't want this to be the high point of his life. I've seen him, the real sad ones. They sit around the rest of their lives talking about the glory days when they were 17 years old. You know, most people would kill to be treated like a god just for a few moments. Welcome to Keeping the Nostalgia Alive, the Indiana Basketball Memories Show. This is my I am your host, Billy Powell. Today with me is Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame member, uh, the Basketball Hall of Fame member in Springfield, uh, Coach Bobby Slick Leonard. Coach Leonard, thank you so much for taking a little time out of your evening to help keep the nostalgia alive and uh, share a little bit about Indiana basketball. Happy to do it, Billy. Happy to do it. You know, Coach, uh, you know, I went to Indiana State University and graduated in 1990, so I'm, I'm assuming that Terre Haute was a quite different when you were growing up in Terre Haute. Can you tell us a little bit about it? <laughs> well, Terre Haute in the days that I was growing up was uh, was kind of a wide-open town. It was a kind of a wide-open town. Uh, it, uh, we, had, we had about everything going there that you can have in a town, but that changed. That changed. They got a new mayor in, and and uh, some of the some of the gambling joints and that were were shut down. What were you first introduced to the game of basketball or the game of tennis? And who introduced you to those games when you were little? Well, I was I was introduced to basketball uh, December seventh, nineteen forty one, the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. The high school that I eventually went to, the juniors and seniors, uh, I was eight or nine years old, the juniors and seniors in the high school uh, joined up uh, like everybody else in the country did. Uh, we had 12 guys in the neighborhood. It was predominantly a Catholic neighborhood. And uh, they, uh, they all joined the Marine Corps. Those 12 guys were in all the major landings in the South Pacific in World War II, and all 12 of them made it back. Wow. Yep, they had to go to night school to get their high school diploma because, you know, they had left school early. And uh, it was a technical school where you had welding, wrench shop, wood shop, auto shop, you name it, had every shop. They made a basketball goal. They made a basketball goal and put it down the alley in Sullivan's backyard. And that's where I started playing. They put a light up. They put a, a light up in an old oak tree. And you could go up on the porch, the back porch, and turn that light on so you could play. <laughs> you could play forever, you know, which I did. Uh but that started my basketball career, and those guys followed me all the way through high school and college. Uh, all of them passed away now, but uh, that was the start, and I'll never forget those guys. Uh, the game of tennis was a little bit different. Uh, I was cutting a, an old lady's lawn <laughs> with one of those push mowers. Yes, with the blades. Yeah, with the blades, I was pushing, I was pushing that, and when I got down, I, I took it in the shed to put it away for, and up there hanging a tennis racket. Now it it uh, looked more like a snowshoe, but uh, it was a tennis racket. <laughs> and she uh, saw me eyeballing it, and she said, uh, she said that belonged to my son. Now her son had gotten killed in the Normandy invasion. But uh, she said, would you like to have it? And I said, I sure would. And uh, I got a couple of tennis balls somewhere, hitting balls off the floor to high school. And I really taught myself how to play tennis. <laughs> and uh, uh, I won the state championship. My senior year in high school, I won the state tennis championship. So, yeah, that's how, that's how I started. What was what was the Indiana high school basketball like at that time when when you started going to Gersmeyer? Well, Indiana high school basketball was the game. It was the game. We had 714 teams in the Indiana State High School tournament, and 
you know, like all the little towns in the state of Indiana. On Friday night, the gyms were packed. Uh, the state tournament was everything. You know, the sectional, regional, semi-state, and every, every kid getting uh, I never got there. I never got there. We got beat out in the regional, but uh, that was the dream. That's what kept the kids out in the, out in the barn dark, the alleys, uh, always baskets. Coach, I know I'm fast-forwarding here, but um, has class basketball ruined Indiana high school basketball? Well, it, uh, you talk to any of the old guys that have been around for, and new guys too, it, 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 has, it, it has really had its effect. There's no question about it. As a matter of fact, is, is, there's, a, there's a gym, a gym over at Anderson, which was a hotbed of uh, high school basketball, Anderson, Indiana. They had a place called the Wigwam because their nickname was the Andrews Indians. The Wigwam was one of the largest uh, gyms in the state, seated around 8,000. And uh, today they were getting ready to tear it down because high school basketball in Anderson is nothing compared to what it used to be. Coach, was Indiana University uh, always where you wanted to go, or was there an opportunity uh, that you possibly could have gone someplace else? And and why did you pick Indiana University to play your uh, college basketball? Well, you know, I coming out of high school, I I had some opportunities. Uh, Moose Krauss uh, recruited me up at Notre Dame, and Adolph Rupp recruited me down at Kentucky, and. I didn't make many trips. I had offers. Every case down North Carolina State. I, I had. Uh, I did visit the schools, but there was something about Indiana University, the tradition, and being a Hoosier. Uh, and they had a coach that I really liked by the name of Branch McCracken, and that's where I ended up. Can you tell us a little bit about Branch McCracken, what kind of a person he was, and, and, and also, at the same time, uh, was he a, was he kind of a, was he, how did he teach you the game? Well, at, at Indiana, Branch, Branch had been an All-American in two sports at IU. He was an All-American in basketball. As a matter of fact, when I was put in the Hall of Fame, I, they had... On the second or third story up there, they got all the guys that are in the Hall of Fame, and Branch Branch was in there. So uh, Branch was an All-American in, uh, in basketball and football, about six five, a big burly guy, uh, white-headed, uh, came out of Monrovia, Indiana. In high school at Monrovia, the, the other guy, the other big-name player in the area was over at Martinsville, but then the Johnny Wooden. So they competed against each other. But at any rate, uh, uh, Branch made it simple. He made it simple. We we played, played full-court pressure the whole, the whole game. So you had to be in shape. And his uh, he had a full-court pressure. He had a very simple... Very simple offense, and uh, rebounding, of course, rebounding defense is the name of the game. And they, and he really stressed those two things. But the other thing he really stressed was the fast break. And the nickname of Indiana basketball, IU basketball, then and had been, was the Hurrying Hoosiers. Coach, what was what was travel like back then during, in, in the Big Ten? I mean, did you guys did you guys fly occasionally? Did you always take a bus? And 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 was it dangerous at times? Well, we had uh, we had uh, places that we took a bus. We took a bus to Purdue. We took a bus to Illinois. We took a bus to Ohio State. 
the other places we we flew a DC three, which is a smaller plane, prop plane, and uh, so that's how. Oh, then the, there was one other when we took a train to Chicago when we played Northwestern. So, you know, travel was a bus, train, and a few planes. Coach, when, when you attended Indiana University, and I think all the way up to maybe the mid-'70s, freshmen were not allowed to play basketball. Were you disappointed that you couldn't hop right in? I know you probably probably played freshman basketball, but were you kind of chomping at the bit to get to that varsity level and, and get started? Oh, yeah, no question. That was, that was the name of the game. Uh, then I'll tell you something that happened. that You couldn't play as a freshman, so we had to play – we played inter-squad games uh, as a prelim to the varsity games down on the field house floor. And uh, Branch had never taken uh, a freshman team down to play against the varsity. Uh, the varsity at the time was rated third in the country. And Branch said, Lou Watson, the freshman coach, he said, "Why don't you bring a, bring those boys down? Let's play, let's play two eight-minute quarters uh, against you know against the varsity." So we went down there, and uh, after the first after the first quarter, we had them down twelve points. You know, old Branch said, "Lou, take them on back upstairs." He didn't <laughs> want to he didn't want to embarrass the varsity. <laughs> Coach, I, you know, there's not. I've got my passion for basketball. I was not very good at basketball. I attended Broderpool High School, and the the gentleman there that kind of fueled my passion, and I learned a lot about, but I did not know a lot about him, was our athletic director, which was Gene Ring, who actually also played for Branch McCracken. Did you know him very well? I'm always still trying to find, as a historian, trying to find information out about people that you know I spent time with. But did you know much about Gene Ring? I sure did. Gene Reagan and I were great friends. Even, even I used to stop in Broad Ripple High School uh, when I first started coaching the Pacers. I'd stop over and visit with Gene. Now Gene was a senior when I was a freshman, and he uh, he he was a he was a real good athlete. Boy, he was a tough guy. You know, hard nosed. Came out of South Bend. Uh, was all state in football. And uh, you know he's a good basketball player, but yeah, Gene was a Gene was a really he was a great guy. He was a great guy. Died at uh, died at kind of an early age, really. Uh, but yeah, I used to stop over and see him, and uh, over Broad Rebel. Coach, at the beginning of the national championship year, did you guys have any idea you were going to be as good as you were, and did you? And was that your guys' focus the whole year? Well, we we knew. I think everybody knew that uh, this ball club, this this team was special. It was special. Fit together like a glove. Uh, you know, you always dream about winning a national championship, but uh, back then you had to win, win the Big Ten championship to even get in. You know, today they take teams that finish second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth. Uh, but back then, back in '53, you had to win the Big Ten championship to get in. And uh, we. Uh, we won the Big Ten championship. We were we were seventeen and one. That was the first year they had the round robin in the Big Ten, where you played every everybody twice. And uh, we were seventeen and one, which got us to uh, the NCAA tournament. Coach, when you drop those two free throws, do you still do you still think about that? Like on a daily basis. I mean, I mean, I think I would if I if I would have been that good at basketball and would have been able to be on a national championship ship team. But do you think about that on a daily basis, or did you capture that, or did that go by so quick that you know you really don't uh, uh, look back on it? 
Well, the, the, the win in the championship was one of the highlights. You know, I've had a lot of great things happen in basketball in my lifetime. Uh, and that, you know, that's right at the top, top of the list. I always judge everything on, did you win the championship? Did you win the championship? That's, uh, <laughs> since you went to Indiana State, Larry Bird and I are great friends. And I sometimes I kid him. I said, uh, I said, Larry Joe, I call him Larry Joe. I'm probably the only guy that does that. But I said, uh, you know, what what was the big deal about Indiana State uh, going against Michigan State and Magic Johnson? I said, I said it was nice. Uh, it was nice to get to the Final Four in the championship game. But I said, you didn't win the championship. <laughs> I said I was I was at the I was at the Final Four in 1953, and I said we won the championship. <laughs> and, you know, it gets in, it gets in aggravating. Yeah, <laughs> but that was a great thing out there. I I often tell the story. Uh, you know, we we beat the four teams in the in the. Uh, and the final four were University of Washington representing the West Coast. Uh, Kansas, of course, representing uh, the, the Big 12 or whatever it is. And Louisiana State, uh, the Southeastern Conference, and, of course, Indiana in the, in the Big Ten. The first night we beat uh, Louisiana State uh, with, or, yeah, with uh, Bob Pettit. Ended up being a great, great pro basketball player, and uh, Washington was the favorite coming in. They were the favorite in the tournament, and Kansas upset them. So it's us against Kansas for the championship, and it was a game that just back and I don't think there was ever. Uh, more than three points separated two teams all the all the way through, and uh, of course I got fouled at the at the end of the game. The guy that fouled me became famous. <laughs> he became a famous uh, coach. Dean Smith. His name was Dean Smith, North Carolina. Yeah, and uh, <clears throat> I I just tell the story because. You know, after we won the ball game, we won it by one, 69-68. But uh, we were in the dressing room after the game, and, you know, all the media and TV, all, all the people, writers and everything, they're talking, they're in there, and they're talking to Branch. And when they got through his Branch, they came over to me, and they said, Bobby, how did you uh, how did you feel standing there at the free throw line with a national championship hanging in the balance. They said, Branch just told us that you had ice water in your veins. And I said, baby, if that was ice water, it sure felt awful warm when it was running down my leg. So, so after winning the national championship, did you guys? I mean, what? I mean, what was like? I mean, when did you come down from that high? Oh, it took a while. Yeah. It took a while. I mean, uh, you know, we we came back into Bloomington. Uh, anybody that's from Indiana, uh, Martinsville is about eighteen miles from Bloomington, and the highways. We we had flown into Indianapolis and taken a bus. And the highways from Martinsville, at 18 miles, the highways were packed on both sides of the road, cars. And uh, then when we got into Bloomington, the place had gone wild, you know. They were throwing, throwing chairs out windows and all kind of stuff. <laughs> but, uh, no, it was a wild thing, and it was a great thing. And the sad part of it is uh, we had everybody back the next year. And for the most part, we were rated number one in the country the whole year. We win the Big Ten championship, and we get upset in the NCAA regional by Notre Dame by one point. We should have won. We should have. We should have won back to backs. 
Coach, while you were at Indiana University, is that when you thought about coaching, or was that later uh, as your basketball career came to an end? Never really gave it a thought. Never really gave it a thought. Uh, uh, back in those days, uh, uh, they picked a college All-American team, like 10 or 12 guys, All-American, and, and we had a... We had a uh, what they call the World Series of Basketball. We played 21 games in 26 nights against the Harlem Globetrotters. Now this is when uh, the Globetrotters were good because the black players had not started coming into the NBA at that time. And we, you, you couldn't buy a ticket. We played in every major arena in the United States and you couldn't get a ticket, and we finished up the, the tour uh, with an outdoor game in the Los Angeles Coliseum and drew 85,000. Wow. That's, that's how popular the Trotters and the combination of college, the, the Trotters and the college All-Americans. So, it, and then there was a player, there was a player on the Trotters, and uh, on the uh, on, the, on the college All-American team, we had guys, I think six, seven, eight of them are in the Hall of Fame today. You know, Bob Pettit, uh, Cliff Hagen, and Frank Ramsey out of Kentucky, and uh, Richie Guerin out of Iona, uh, Johnny Kerr out of Iona. You go on and on uh, of guys that, uh, uh, you know, were, were, were great players. Uh, but it was a it was a good good tour, good experience, and uh, of course from there, you know back then I was a uh, I was a cadet colonel at the R of ROTC at IU, so you had to do two years of military. Then they had the selective service, and you had to do two years, and. Uh, situation I was in they wanted me to do four and I've gone through enough training <laughs> uh, the ranger program down at Fort Bend in Georgia and I've gone through enough training but I, I didn't want to stay in for four years so I gave up my commission and went in as a private for, and did the two years I'm doing the same stuff I've done over and over and over before but uh, so I did my two years, and then when the, when I got out, I went I went directly from being discharged from the army uh, to the Minneapolis Lakers training camp. And uh, you spent four years in Minneapolis before go before going to L.A. Is that correct? Yeah, it was four. I, I don't know. Yeah, it was, maybe it was four. I got there in '56, and I was on the first Los Angeles Lakers team in 1960. So whatever that whatever that adds up to, but it uh, it uh, was uh, we went from ice cold weather in Minneapolis, <laughs> <laughs> the palm trees in Southern California. Once you got to Southern California and Los Angeles, I mean, what was your thought process? Did you think that that was going to work? And you know, you you, you see what you see what has uh, came uh, has come out of it now, but you know, did you enjoy your time in Southern California? Well, the thing is, when we, when we first got there, got out there, you know, pro basketball was new to Southern California, uh, and we played our games at the sports arena, which was right by the Los Angeles Coliseum. And when 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 they played the national anthem, there was a flag up there that was waving. And, but up to the right of it was a counter system where it, it counted the people, the turnstiles. So you could stand there almost at the start of the game and know how many people were in the place. And it was a funny thing because Jerry West was a rookie. And, of course, we had Algern Baylor. Now, there's truly the greatest of all time. And uh, it took a while. It took a while, but then it started catching on. And at the start, we were drawing like 3,500, 4,000. 
by by playoff time we was drawn fifteen times. So, you know, it it uh, it catapulted. Coach, can you take us through the steps that got you back to the state of Indiana? Well, I I uh, yeah I can. Uh, I, I went in the expansion draft from the Lakers and went to Chicago. And in Chicago, uh, uh, I probably I probably had my best year in the pro game as far as scoring. You know, I averaged over 16 a game with ball club and assists and all that kind of stuff. But I separated a shoulder for the seventh time. I was taking so much cortisone and everything to be. Got the place I couldn't raise my left. Uh, my left arm up a little bit, you know. So I had to, I had to give it up. It ended my career, but I went right from being a player to being a head coach in the NBA. At that time, I was the youngest in in the history of the league. But, uh, but yeah, I coached there, and then the ball club was sold and became the Baltimore Bullets. I had, let's see, I had two Hall of Famers. I had two rookies of the year in the NBA. Uh, uh, Walt Bellamy, who passed away a couple of years ago, or last year maybe. Walt was uh, Walt was uh, rookie of the year, and then the following year I had Terry Dishinger from Purdue that was rookie of the year. And so we we had a, a young ball club, and then uh, of course when we got to Baltimore, I drafted a player on the second round, became one of the great defensive players of all time. He's in the Hall of Fame. His name is Gus Johnson. He. Uh, the battles between him and Dave DeBusher with New York elected Knicks are legendary. But Gussie, uh, so I had uh, I had a starting lineup of Kevin Lockery and Rod Thorne oh, wow. in the backboard. Yeah. And I had Walt Bellamy at center, and I had Terry Dishinger and Gus Johnson at forwards. We were young, but, you know, we were playing then when the Celtics had their great great ball clubs in uh, with Bill Russell and Tommy Heinsohn and Bob Cousy and Sam Jones and you know you can go on down the line of great players they had and uh, you know we, we were playing them games of five six points but we weren't good enough at that point in time to beat them uh, as a lot of clubs in the NBA didn't beat them didn't beat them then but uh we had a good young club, and we didn't win enough ball games. So at the end of the at the end of the season, I can't remember if it was my first or second season in Baltimore, uh, I got fired. And I told Nancy, my wife, who I met at IU as a freshman, I told her, I said, you know what? It's time to do something else. It's time to do something else. So I had some friends back here in Indiana that uh, were with a company called Herf Jones. Now, what Herf Jones did, they made they made class rings, senior invitations, yearbooks, all that kind of stuff. So I ended up with a, with a territory in central Indiana, uh, 52 schools. And I was out calling on the schools and built a heck of a business. I should have I should have stayed in it instead of going back into coaching. But, uh, yeah, it, uh, it it was a great uh, great company, great business. But uh, in 67, the Pacers came into existence. And the, the, the general manager uh, that they brought in from the Cincinnati Royals, I had been with him in Baltimore. And so he called me and wanted me to come down and visit. So what I ended up doing was kind of a consultant thing the first year of the ABA. And then uh, they got off to a bad start the next year. Mike Mike Storen said, uh, said uh, Slick, you, why don't you, why don't you uh, come in and coach this thing? Well, you know, I... <laughs> I had my misgivings about it. I thought, you know, I thought to myself, I'd been an NBA player and coach. 
I thought, here they are with a red, white, and blue ball <laughs> and a, a three-point line. I said, I, I said that thing can't, it just can't last. And I told Nancy, we'd just build a new home in Kokomo, Indiana. I told Nancy, I said, you know what? I said, I can do both things. I, I, I said, it's not going to last more than a year anyway. <laughs> and I said, we, I'll make enough money that we can furnish the whole house. Well, that isn't the way it worked. That's not the way it turned out, as most people know. Uh, I was there for 13 years. We had championship ball clubs. As a matter of fact, you know, that those ball clubs I had were uh, were went to the championship series five times in eight years. And the other three times we were in the conference finals. So there was a lot of su- success for eight straight years and uh, I, I looked back at that ball club and I said I said you know that front line because I've seen everything has come down to pike out here played against coached against broadcast in over 60 years I said that front line of Mel Daniels in the middle Roger Brown see nobody <laughs> you talk about a great player Roger Brown at one forward and George McGinnis at the other. And I'll swear right now, as a matter of fact, it already became a fact because we played an exhibition game against the New York Knicks when they won the NBA championship in 73 with Willis Reed and Dave DeBusher and and Earl of Pearl Monroe, Walt Frazier, Bill Bradley. They came in and... Uh, in the three quarters, we had about 16 points. So that front line could have played with anybody all the way up to today. Yeah. Coach, when did you get? Uh, uh, you were talking about Mike Storen saying, "Slick, we're going to have you be the head coach." When did you get that nickname? How did that evolve? Oh, that happened back in Minneapolis. That happened back in Minneapolis. Uh, one year we drafted uh, uh, probably one of the most popular players that ever came out of the state of West Virginia. His name was Hot Rod Hundley. And uh, he was so popular that we thought we'd take a couple of exhibition games into West Virginia. And at that time, uh, the coach, our coach, was George Mikan. Wow. Who was who was the first great center yeah. in the NBA. Uh, he was the reason they put in a 24-second clock and widened the lane and all that stuff. They won four world championships in the early 50s. And uh, after a game at Morgantown where the University of West Virginia is, we, we, we had to go up through the mountains to the next town about 100, 120 miles away. And everybody got on the bus and fell asleep. And George and I, George and I were sitting up in the front seat with those peep lights on on a bus playing Hollywood Gin. And uh, as we wound through the mountains in West Virginia, there was a sign that says truck stop uh, five miles. Well, those truck stops in, up there in those mountains are huge because there are about one of them between, you know, every hundred miles or so. So uh, George says to me, he said, Bobby, he said, uh, you think we ought to pull in that truck stop and let the guys get a cup of coffee and a sandwich? And I said, well, you're going to have to wake them up. But I said, I think it's a good idea. Well, we pulled into that truck stop. Bus driver stops, bus turns the light, all the lights on, and the guys are waking up. But when he turned those lights on, I blitzed George Mikan across the board in that Hollywood gin game. <laughs> and here were his words. He says, how about buying me a cup of coffee? You're too slick for me. <laughs> and all those guys heard him say slick, and they started calling me. I was back in the late 50s. Yep. So I got my nickname from a great, a great player, a great pro. 
Coach, while being the coach of the Indiana Pacers, how hard was it? I don't know how to phrase this question. How hard was it when there was a popular player who was born and raised in the state of Indiana? How how hard was it to either a cut that person or to let that person know that they're just not right for that particular system or team? Well, you know, I had. Uh, it doesn't matter who the player is or where he's from. Cutting a player is probably the toughest, one of the toughest things in coaching professional basketball. You know, you, you just, you know, this, it, it, it's just not easy. It's not easy. But I had two players early on that uh, were big, big name players in the state of Indiana. One was Jimmy Rail out of Kokomo that went to IU. And the other was Rick Mount out of Lebanon that uh, went to Purdue. Well, you know, this so happens, this so happens that in the pro game, you've got to get some, you have to have some quickness uh, to play defense and get your, get three pointers off and this type of thing. And uh, Rick and Jimmy were both steps slow. They were both steps slow. So, they both uh, had struggled on defense, and then they couldn't get their shots off. They couldn't get their shots. See, and the people in Lebanon, Indiana, fully expected Rick Mount to come into professional basketball and average 25 or 30 to 30 a game, and it just didn't happen. It didn't happen at all. So uh, we moved him uh, down to uh, we moved Rick. We cut Jimmy. And I've often said, you know, now if they were if they were so good, and you cut somebody, why didn't somebody else pick them up? And uh, that was the case in Jimmy. You know, nobody nobody picked him up. And Mount went down to uh, uh, Kentucky with uh, Louis Dampier and Dan Essel, and uh, you know, he he was Rick always worked hard, and he was a decent player, but nothing. Uh, very average and ordinary in the pro game. So, uh, and his career didn't last very long in, in professional basketball. So, uh, uh, you know, had he been like everybody thought, well, when the ABA, when he ran out of uh, time in the ABA, you'd think somebody in uh, the NBA would pick him up, but that never happened. So that's the, that's the story there. And another guy was a great great high school and college player. Uh, ran into the same situation. A step slow, couldn't get the shot off. Steve Alford from Newcastle and Indiana University. And Steve has uh, got into coaching. He's head coach at UCLA now. Coach, did so you? It doesn't always work, uh, Billy. It doesn't always work out for every for every big name. I don't know how many All Americans that I've seen come into pro game and just couldn't cut it. Right, and and it's like you know Abraham Lincoln said, you 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 can't make all the people happy all the time, you know. No, no way. Yeah, no way. Uh, Coach, did you you know I I, I talked to a uh, uh, big Mac today, George McGinnis, and. And he said that you you instilled a toughness, and and if your team uh, uh, threw a punch a couple times or got a little nasty and dirty, you, you didn't mind that. No, no, I, you know I, I that 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 was okay with me. I think you know you got to compete, and if, and if you uh, you got to be tough enough to stand up in there. You know, you mentioned the guy right there that uh, is was a special player. You know, he went to. He went to IU. He went to Indiana. Freshman, not eligible. And his sophomore year, he stayed there one year. His sophomore year, he tore the Big Ten up. You know, he averaged over 30 a game, and they still haven't broken his records in the uh, in the Big Ten. But uh, George McGinnis, uh, in his prime, which didn't last that long one of the greatest power forwards to ever play the game. To ever play it, and it's just a shame at this stage of his life 
uh, when they put me in the Hall of Fame, I said, I, I'd, I'd give that up right now if you put George McGinnis in because he really deserves it. And, Coach, why do you think that, uh, you know, he's been kind of, uh, you know, hasn't gotten in there? You know, uh, let me say this. You know, the Hall of Fame, there's, there's politics involved. And sometimes when you step on the wrong foot, like I did, I did that myself. I almost got in a fight one night when I was coaching with Red Arbach. <laughs> Red had a lot, yeah, Red had a lot to do with running the. Uh, yeah, Red had a lot to do with running the uh, Hall of Fame. That's why you see every Celtic that came down the pike is in the Hall of Fame uh, because of Red. And you know they were great ones that deserved to be, but there were a couple, two or three in there that uh, uh, weren't that good. But anyway. You never know the exact answer to that. I, I am, I'm, uh, you know, I, I, I can't figure it out. I cannot figure it out. Because, you know, I said, and I said this, if I had my choice in his prime between him and Carl Malone to Utah, I'll take George McGinnis. Now, you guys also work together a little bit, too, uh, with uh, DroppingDimes.org. Is that true? Yeah, there. you know, we've had, you know, the funny thing is now, you know, players come out early uh, after their freshman year, and there's been some pretty, pretty good ones. But, but uh, uh, you know, they make so much money that uh, they, they couldn't make that kind of money with a college degree off their college degree so but back then uh, the, the when the ABA came into existence it gave real good players a choice of either going NBA or ABA but, but the fact is you know they left school uh, after freshman or sophomore or whatever year and uh, they didn't make any money I mean, you, you know, they didn't make any money in the, in the professional basketball then. And I remember my rookie year, really my rookie year with the Mavs Lakers, I made $6,500. So uh, the, the guys didn't make any money. And then, of course, their careers ended. They didn't have a college degree. And they, a, lot of them, a lot of them hit on hard times. So that's what uh, Dropping Dimes is for, to try to put the money together to get some help uh, that, uh, that some of the, some of the old, old players are in need of. And that's, uh, so it's, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Coach, what did you think about the merger, and uh, did, did that change your coaching style, or did you have an idea of uh, what was going to happen with the Pacers? Well, we 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 ran into hard times about uh, uh, right after the merger. First of all, the merger, you know, uh, Billy, they needed our players. They needed our players. You know, after the, the first year after the merger, we put thirteen guys from the ABA on the NBA All Star team. Wow! So you know, we had players, and you can go down the list and name them: Doctor J and Moses Malone and you know, you can go on and on and on. But, uh, uh, we paid, it was a massacre that they pulled off on us. No television rights, no draft choices. They dispersed our players around the league. Uh, at that time, $3 million right now, cash money. And uh, the whole thing was was a joke, really was a joke. And uh, but they got by with it. And uh, so right after that, uh, we we didn't have any money. We didn't have any money to pay. So we paid that three million. We didn't have any money. Uh, you know, I I, I gave I, I, when it came up signing, re-signing players. 
I didn't have the money to do it. I lost Danny Roundfield that way. I lost Alex English that way. Uh, so you're, you're trying to string a ball pub together, and we hit on hard times. And uh, so I was, I was coaching, but they wanted, uh, they wanted somebody to run the front office too, you know. So I said, I said, you know, I knew, I knew my wife Nancy had great talent. And so we said, okay, we'll give you two for the price of one. <laughs> Nancy, Nancy went inside and with 12 or 13 people, ran the franchise. They ran the franchise. And when it got down bottom line and things were really going, they she put together a telephone. You can't pull this kind of stuff off. <laughs> As a matter of fact, this guy, this guy over in Zionsville, Indiana, he had worked in a Jerry Lewis telephone. And so they, they contacted him. He says, he said, well, it, it will take you at least a year to put something like that together. Well, they didn't give up. They did it in two weeks. And it was a huge, it was a huge, they saved the franchise. There wouldn't be any, had it not been for, for, for my wife and those 12 in that office, uh, Sandy Knapp, who was later on the Olympic Committee, if they if they hadn't pulled that off, there would be no Indiana Pacers this day. That would, would have been the end of the franchise. So, yep. <laughs> yeah, at times you got tough, but we got tougher. Coach, what was it like after after all the success you've had and after just a just a fabulous life, like you said, in coaching and in playing and and broadcasting. What was it like to finally get that phone call from the Basketball Hall of Fame? Well, you know, at, at this stage, you know, I'd had so many honors that, uh, you know, I was in Indiana State High School Basketball Hall of Fame. I was the first player put in the Indiana University Sports Hall of Fame. Uh, you know, I, I, I had. I made all American a couple of uh, you know, I I'd had uh I'd had uh, you know, I was named the ABA's all time coach and all this baloney. You know. <laughs> it, it, that kind of stuff you know what, Billy, it, it, that kind of stuff. But the thing that is important about it is not for me, but it's a legacy for my kids. Nancy and the kids, my grandchildren, and that's that's the name of the game there. Man, well said, Coach. So, so you had all you've done all this in your life, and then you decided to be an author. Yeah, I want. I would never do that again. You know, the, the book is called uh, "Boom Baby Basketball: uh, My Basketball Life in Indiana." Where did that idea come from? Was it fun writing the book? And uh, tell us a little bit about it. Well, the guy contacted me, and uh, and I, it was another one of those things. I thought, well, it's something that I can leave, and uh, but I didn't know what else to get into. <laughs> That takes a lot of time, sitting down and wanting to interview, 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 interview. You know, it never ends. And then, and then you, uh, you, uh, when the when the when the book gets out, then you got to go around to all these places uh, in a, at a promotional level, which I didn't like at all. But uh, it, uh, the book, for being a regional book, it wasn't a national book. It, it was successful. Now, Nancy, t I, I, I got the book from and uh, Nancy told me not to believe everything that's in it. Is that true? <laughs> <laughs> There's probably stuff in there. I, I, you know what? I, this is the truth. I've never read the book. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Coach, what do you do in retirement? Do you play a lot of golf, or do you? I mean, uh, are, are, yeah. I played uh, I played 18 holes today. Of course, during the season, I'm still doing. You know, I had a, a 
we we were playing in mix at Madison Square Garden, and that's broadcasting. And after the game, got on the bus, and me and Quinn Buckner, we always sat at the back of the bus, and I had a cardiac arrest. And they laid me down in there, got finally laid me off the floor in the bus. And the assistant trainer saved my life. He gave me, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, well, I, I can't think of what do you call it? CPR? Yeah. Yes. Uh, and kept me breathing, I guess. And see, I don't really know. For 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 uh, the uh, the medics to get there with the uh, defibrillator, right? And they came in there. See, the, the percentage of living with the cardiac arrest is only ten percent. But they came on that bus, and you know, there's three hundred and fifty volts in one of those babies. They hit me once. Uh, no response. They hit me twice. No response. And these guys are New Yorkers. Uh, you know, they've, they've been doing that for a long time. And they told them, uh, my trainer, Carl, they said, well, we've lost him. And Carl says, nope. He said, he's a tough guy. You keep going. They hit wow. me two more times. Two more. And on the fourth one, uh, I came to, I came, you know, they got me, whatever. But in the process, you know, laying on that floor, those metal strips uh, that run along the floor of a bus right. on, on the sides, I got, I got second degree burns on my back wow. from those, from those muscles. But anyway, so they, you know, they go down to the hospital in, uh, in New York. And uh, they put uh, they put two uh, stents in, and then Larry Larry uh, Larry sent the plane. He sent the uh, he sent the uh, Simon plane uh, to get me get me in. Well, first of all, he, he flew Nancy and my son out there, uh, and then when they stayed there too, then he sent the plane back. And brought me back to Indiana, and so I went through the recuperation process. And uh, you know, like I, people ask me all the time, say, "Yeah, you know, I, how are you feeling?" You know, I'm 84 years old. I said, "They say, how are you feeling?" And I get the same answer every time. I say, "Well, the battleship is still floating." <laughs> <laughs> Coach Leonard, uh, thank you so much for spending some time. I know I, I took a little extra of your time there this evening, and thank you so much for uh, helping us keep the nostalgia alive and, and sharing your uh, your insight on your basketball life in Indiana, and I think everyone is going to enjoy it. I thank you so much for your time. Oh, Billy, you're welcome. Good luck to you, pal. Thank you. I appreciate it, Coach.